Hello, welcome to Freelance Teacher Self-Development Podcast. I am Mark Jones and today I'm going to talk about future-proofing careers. So this is um, quite the topic at the moment because with the whole COVID-19 pandemic and other things, there's apparently a diminished need for uh, learning languages um, or teaching languages as the case may be um, from language schools and stuff. So um, this is a bit of a flashback moment for me because it reminds me very much of my situation in 2011 when the uh, Great Tohoku earthquake hit Japan and seemed like everything was going crazy my wife was expecting a baby at that time and I just didn't know what to do so I was really at a, a strange point in my career um, I had just changed um, one of my jobs to a part-time job and I needed some other part-time earnings on top of that um, so yes it was a bit strange that was the start of my freelancing basically um, not advocating freelancing per se um, for everybody but it could be something that's useful for some people um, but I'm looking more towards like you know doing what you want to do in your career and thinking about how to focus on that and you know make yourself a bit more indispensable I know it sounds all very neoliberal and you know bad but unfortunately we do live in a capitalist society and as such um, we have to kind of play by their rules sometimes so um, yeah there's no getting around it you have to kind of um, put yourself out there and uh, sell your services so you need to think about really um, what you're good at so and kind of try to narrow that down a bit um, because really what you're good at that's kind of your core and often what you're good at not always but often what you're good at is actually what you really enjoy um, and if you've got weaknesses to develop do you have the time to develop those at the moment if you do that could be something to do in the meantime um, if not you need to really think about um, kind of how you're going to get around these weaknesses if you have them and you know are there any other people that you could work alongside to help you develop those weaknesses so the things that I am really uh, good at uh, basically thinking on my feet um, I do mean to brag um, because you know it's part of what keeps me employed um, but I'm good in the classroom uh, just thinking about activities to do um, when things seem to um, not be working or not going to plan so that's all right um, but what's kind of taken me on my uh, path of kind of specialising in listening and stuff is uh, just my own interests um, it was something that I was quite um, puzzled with 
Um, I talked about this on the Teacher Talk Time podcast, which is a great podcast and you should check it out anyway. But uh, the episode that I was on with uh, Chiara Brazzano um, as a guest, um, that was uh, basically I mentioned that I thought I was really good at listening and I realised I actually wasn't good at teaching listening. Um, so I puzzled about this and uh, thought about it and read as much as I could about it. And that's kind of led me into where I am now. But, you know, horses for courses, you know, everybody's a bit different. So you'll need to think about what you're good at and what you're interested in and the things that you want to develop. And that this can help you figure out the path that you want to take with your career. So do you have any transferable skills? Okay, so I do have some. Um, as to a lot of people in uh, language teaching and not everybody's gotten into language teaching f just as soon as they graduated university and whatnot so I'm kind of used to doing web page type things to do with blogging and stuff as it's always been a bit of a hobby of mine um, media production is I've got the basics down because I did a lot of uh, recording of demos um, when I was in my band at university and I specialised in uh, sound recording as a, a part of my video production course at university. Um, so other people could be um, really good at design um, or publishing, you know, things like that. If you've um, produced kind of student magazines at university or whatnot. So these kind of things are quite useful. Um, in ALT, you know, even things like editing and proofreading, well, especially editing and proofreading, because, you know, teacher-generated materials, um, writers who publish things on the internet, such as me, um, are not always great at proofreading our own stuff. Um, I try my best, um, but it's usually about uh, half an hour after I've pressed publish, um, sometimes three days afterwards, I realise it's a great big spelling mistake in the materials and a proofreader can be a real saviour there. Um, not everybody has uh, the opportunity to pay for proofreading but larger institutions which are often a bit more stable um, for employment uh, might have needs of proofreaders from time to time and they probably have a budget to hire freelancers uh, from time to time as well. Um, now, sometimes, um, when you're thinking about all your transferable skills, um, it might occur to you that perhaps leaving English language teaching um, could be a good move for you. Um, and that's certainly possible. Um, in the book, Teacher Narratives from the Archiver Classroom, Moving Beyond McEnglish, uh, which was edited by Daniel Hooper and Natasha Hashimoto, um, and which I also have a chapter in, uh, Andy Boone um, researched some uh, former Eikaiwa uh, teachers, that's uh, people working in uh, Japanese English language schools, and uh, a lot of people uh, after they finished teaching in uh, language schools um, worked in a wide variety of uh, industries, so um, have uh, uh, a guy who um, 
worked for a surveying equipment manufacturing company and I became an application engineer um, and as a guy who um, became a program development manager for a cosmetics company um, and as a guy who started his own photography and videography company and somebody who did an MBA and then went to work for a bank and a lady who became a, a consultant for a book ELT bookstore and distributor and somebody who became a secretary at an NPO and then uh, promoted to the head of the office there um, and we've got things like occupational therapist public relations officer at an embassy um, a promotion office for an internet company um, and then a uh, very widely starred career working at national lottery becoming a funding officer and onto corporate management university management and careers and placement so it's not necessarily the case that you're trapped in ELT but it might take a bit of um, imagination and you might want to avoid obvious routes like you know becoming a materials designer well not everybody wants to do it and you know not everybody can do it otherwise you know would have far more books and things on the market than there are teachers so um, you know if you avoid the obvious that means you're going to avoid things that are obviously other people's routes out of uh, ELT if you figure that that might be the case for you um, also just because you think you might need to leave ELT doesn't mean that you have to make it uh, forever it can be something that you come back to myself I left uh, English language teaching in uh, uh, Eikaiwa schools in Japan and then I went to become a school teacher in England it didn't work out for me so I came back to Japan to work in uh, language schools again and then I decided that I needed to earn more money so I moved into the school sector and then into the university sector so that's just me um, these things uh, do happen um, so it's not that you're necessarily trapped okay so this time um, what I'd like to do is talk about um, more future proofing of our careers but in more concrete detail um, getting into the nitty-gritty here so you know everybody works because uh, we want money because um, if we don't have money we can't live food costs money and stuff so obviously um, when you're thinking about your career you need to think about what your minimum possible wage is for the moment where you're at and there are numerous uh, things that you have to consider when you're working this out um, housing costs is one and how much food costs and things like that so you, you know your general cost of living bills and stuff um, if you're single then you don't really have to take anybody else into account but then you don't also have other people's wages to figure into your figurative uh, collective pot um, 
So uh, those of us who have children need to think about mouths to feed um, and also if you've got pets you'll need to think about things like pet food and stuff. Also in our not so brave new world um, you also have to think about um, whether you're traveling to work or whether you're working from home. Now there are pros and cons to both of these. Um, if you're working from home somewhere that's relatively hot or at extremes of hot and cold like the suburbs of Tokyo where I am um, then you'll need to think about running your air conditioner basically 24 hours a day in summertime and quite a lot of the time in winter time whereas uh, when you're at work that's not a big deal because well you have the work kind of infrastructure there um, but again if you're commuting and stuff then you've got to take into consideration that that's time that you could be working not being paid or you know general kind of not being able to do stuff while you're sitting on a train or sitting in your car and things like that so um, also if you're running a car it can be quite expensive um, and you know train tickets in Tokyo not quite so expensive but you know if you were somewhere like London you might need to sell a kidney to get your season ticket for the trains so this kind of thing um, I figured out a few years ago that my minimum possible wage um, was uh, about 2,500 yen if I were working from home and if I were traveling somewhere um, that I needed to go about um, half an hour uh, commute then my minimum hourly wage would be 4,000 yen. Um, obviously the more that I'd be taking in a block then that can come down a bit so I did things with um, spreadsheets and stuff a few years ago I'm no longer freelance freelance if that makes sense now I do freelance jobs but it's mainly on the side of part-time university work um, so um, minimum possible wages are really really important and you need to think about how you're gonna get this now if you've got time on your hands and you've got a bit of money you might consider doing a qualification but it is a gamble and if you've got no money coming in it is really hard so I'm um, certainly where I am um, the if you're working at universities people are usually asking you for a master's degree and often for a master's degree in some kind of English teaching qualification so that could be a CELTA um, I've got the Trinity Diptesol um, and I knew that was going to count towards a master's degree for me um, when I was like nearly through it and it was kind of a nice way to kind of dip my foot into um, postgraduate study um, it's it depends what you're into really um, but there are other things that you can do as well you know there are free online courses that you can do that run through future learn and stuff um, there are also you might 
consider just plunging into doing a master's degree or a PhD, you know, if you've got that kind of time and money on your hands. Um, so it does totally depend uh, on what you're after. Um, but you probably want to check whether it's accredited, whether people want it. And, you know, maybe it's not asked for in job advertisements, but you might be able to develop a skill set um, that's going to help you in uh, getting better paid work or marketing yourself more effectively. So take that into consideration. I mentioned that there are numerous online free courses, but, you know, some of these you can pay and you can get a certificate, which is all very nice and stuff. But if it's not really accredited by any institution that anybody's heard of, then there's no bloody point in doing it, really. So you might consider documenting what you've learned. Um, and I think this is a really good argument for um, having a blog or something like that. Um, a podcast could do it as well, but, I mean, with a blog, it's a bit more kind of searchable on the internet. So, you know, this is what I think is probably a better way to actually provide proof just in case anybody wants you to kind of back up what you've been doing uh, with evidence so that's one thing um but also you know if you're doing that um you'll probably also um want to get your blog out there because obviously if nobody knows that it exists then you know it's going to be harder for people to think, wow, uh, this person's uh, doing great work. I should give them a job. So you'll probably be trying to get it out there on social media, like things like uh, Twitter, which, you know, love-hate relationship with it. Um, Facebook, if you must, um, and LinkedIn. God. Um, but yeah, so um, building your network there, um, will help you get your um, evidence of your learning out there and your skill sets and stuff. Um, so you'll be building your network, but it should be done kind of naturally, um, not in a kind of mercenary way. So, you know, when I first started kind of writing a blog um, for learners and stuff, I was kind of human spam on Twitter, I guess, um, and just kind of trying to get in touch with people who are having problems with their, you know, learning and stuff and trying to get it out there that way. And then I thought, well, you know, um, might be good to kind of find out about what other teachers are doing because I had some other teachers, like, kind of connecting with me, but not many. And then when I kind of got into ELT Twitter as it were, you know, the little subgroup of teachers that just constantly tweet about teaching English and stuff. Um, instead of just tweeting about what we ate for dinner. Um, then I realised that actually I didn't know quite as much about teaching as I thought I did. And this is one of the things that, that kind of spurred me on um, to do my uh, diploma, my master's and things like that. So when you introduce... Um, other people in your network uh, to each other, then this will help you build your network more you know, organically and stuff. 
um, or even just introducing other resources and books and things that you come across. Um, so Austin Cleon, uh, in his book uh, Steal Like an Artist, um, talks about um, Brian Eno's notion of uh, a senius, so that is a like a collective of people, it's like a, a network um, of people that kind of share similar ideas and the ideas are all bouncing off each other. Um, I'm reading a philosophy book at the moment called A Thousand Plateaus by uh, Gilles Deleuze and uh, Felix uh, Guattari and they talk about um, the rhizome um, as this kind of like if you imagine like a potato rhizome where it's got mm, tubers shooting off in all different directions and it's sort of a metaphor for this kind of thing where you can get your ideas bouncing off in all different kinds of directions and people are learning and doing different things like that and this kind of network can be really useful because then you'll have complementary skill sets you'll have people that you can learn from you'll have uh, people who can learn from you as well um, it's it's give and take it's one of the big benefits of twitter it's probably the only thing that's really uh, kept me there this long because you know there are a lot of annoying people on twitter as well but for me at the moment the benefits are far outweighing the disadvantages um and as you build your network you will get uh more and more um offers of interesting work generally um if you're kind of constantly trying to develop your skills and stuff so um don't be afraid to say yes but with caveats okay and this is important i think because you know the way that i think you know just like kind of yes at everything but when you get out of your depth it's really really demotivating um or it can be um and not only that if you do a really crap job then people will send word out you know it won't be directly there in your linkedin feed like oh such and such did a terrible job but um when people are asking oh do you know anybody who can do such and such a thing um they will say your name say don't get you know this person to do um this kind of work for you because they did it for me and it was a load of rubbish so if you don't have the skills or the time say so because you might get support or you might end up being put into a team of people who can do it and you'll be able to learn from more people that way okay um but yeah as i say if it's something new don't be afraid to say yes if you think you can do it with help or with support um or with time um because if you do something new you'll find out whether you like it or not um or whether you actually hate it or not um so for me doing things like web administration um i can do it um but it's not something that really excites me a lot um however the thing that i'm doing our web admin for at the moment is a project that i do kind of believe in i think it's a good thing um um, doing the web administration part of it and going into the back end of the web server and just clicking on settings and things to try and sort out problems it's 
really really dull um, so it, it's some kind of work that I won't probably be volunteering for again unless it's a, another project that I really do believe in strongly so to sum up um, this podcast basically you know um, if you're one of these people who just skips to the end of the podcast to find out the main points <laughs> um, you can f- future proof uh, your career by having to think about your skills and uh, what your strengths and weaknesses are um, whether you've got transferable skills and whether you need to get some um, whether you'd be better off leaving uh, language teaching for at least a little while um, remember there's nothing to stop you coming back um, you can also um, go deeper into this and think about your minimum possible wage this is especially important for freelancing um, you might consider doing a qualification which might lead to your building uh, network of people around you and more and more work opportunities so um if you massively disagree with things that i've said i'd love to hear it actually um because you know this is quite personal to me and my situation um might not apply to everybody um i'm quite aware that as a kind of middle-aged white guy uh, in the suburbs of Tokyo, um, I'm in quite a privileged position. You know, I've got a British passport, and that's one of the things quite a lot of work, quite a lot of employers will just uh, take one look at, and it's almost like a qualification. It shouldn't be, uh, but it does quite often work that way. Um, so yeah, and you know, to come back to kind of new skills and stuff like that, if you're gonna get offered jobs just because you're a native speaker or something like that it's possibly a job that you might not want to take because it could be really boring and rubbish because you know if your main qualification is country of birth then surely that work is just going to be based on the osmosis method that spending time with a native speaker will magically put language into somebody's head it's certainly something that i don't uh, ever uh, go for now in fact it kind of quite often scares me away so anyway I digress um, the books um, and things that I talked about will be in the show notes um, and I intend to put transcripts up of the podcasts at some point in the future but it's quite difficult so one day but it's going to take quite a while. Anyway, you've been listening to the Freelance Teacher Self-Development Podcast. I've been Mark Jones, and I still will be next time. Thank you.